All right, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to be looking at one verse there, um, and then a bunch of other verses today as well, which are listed in your bulletin on page 6. So if you want to turn there in your bulletin, if you don't have a Bible, um, there's also a place to take notes on page 7. We're going to be looking at verse 45 and unpacking that as we look uh, at the Spirit today. But before we do that, let me just give you a bit of a review. Um, This month, in our study of the fullness of the gospel, we're trying to plumb the depths. We're trying to drink off the fire hose of God's salvation to understand the way that God blesses people who are in relationship with Him. And this month, we've been looking at the Holy Spirit. We've been talking about how God is in us when we believe in Jesus. When we commit to following and obeying Jesus, His Spirit comes and dwells in us. And we've been talking about this. We've been seeing that the Spirit gives you life. Right? That's what we've looked at over the last few weeks. The Spirit gives life, not just sort of physical life to our bodies, but He gives us spiritual life. Um, We've seen that your spirit that immaterial part of you, right? That, that, um, that, that part of you that's not physical, your spirit and God's spirit are joined when you believe in Jesus. And you have this relationship with God, which means you have God's presence, his encouragement, that God himself is in you and he is on your side. He's on your side. Salvation is both a gift and a relationship. And we saw last week it means friendship with God, and it calls for faith from us. Um, And so it's interesting because when you have a relationship with God, when you you follow God, when you you basically you open yourself up to God's presence in your life. Okay? That's what happens. When you begin to follow Jesus, you have a relationship with God, you open yourself up to his presence. And so... um, it's important because you're actually allowing God to be in charge. Okay, the image is that you begin to follow Jesus so you are more in his presence. You're spending more time with him. You actually have a relationship with God where you want to know what he thinks and how he feels. And so you're opening yourself, you're turning toward him more and more and more in your life. You're allowing him to be in charge. Okay, Uh, and it's important to think about it this way because sin is the opposite. Okay, what sin is, it's not just a list of rules to make you feel guilty. Sin is actually hiding from God. Okay, sin is turning away from God, right? Facing him less and less often or with less and less of you, right? This is what sin does. When we commit sin, it's like that we're taking areas of our lives and we're sort of hiding from the Lord. We're just hiding. I mean, we can't hide, but we act like we can. You know, and so when we do this, as we turn away from him, Um, we just sort of hide. We don't acknowledge him. We aren't turning toward him. We're not thinking about him. We're not basking in the love and the joy and who he is, right? We just, we sort of turn. And when we do that, it's interesting because it's it's like turning away from the light, how your eyes get used to the dark and you become more and more familiar with the dark and you can see more and you actually can function in certain ways in the darkness. And all the while, we're getting farther and farther away from God and his light. That's what sin is. It's hiding from God. It's moving away from him. But becoming a Christian, it means that we're turning back. 
right? We're turning back. We're coming to him. We're acknowledging. We're honoring him for all that he's done. We're obeying him. And when you do this, so no matter how far away you are, right, no matter where you are, when you begin to turn around, you see him again. Right? You see him, and as you walk toward him, as you spend time looking in his direction, right? and you do this by praying, by reading the Bible, like these aren't just things to do to check off your checklist. These are ways to spend time in God's presence. Right? On Sundays, this is what we're doing. We are turning our, our eyes toward God. We're coming back to him, no matter what, what we've done during the week. Right? And so this is what it means. And when you do this, you get more and more of his presence in your life. Right? The more of him you turn, it's kind of like facing the sun, right? The more of him that's uncovered in front of the sun, the more that gets tanned. The more that begins to glow and, and shine with his glory. And we've seen this in the passages that we've looked at over the course of the month. And so when you let God, when you draw near to God, when you let God draw near to you, he fills your heart and your life and you become more like him. And this happens because God is life-giving. Okay? God is life-giving. If you spend time with God, you receive life from him. Okay? And so God's spirit actually doesn't just give you life, but God's spirit goes a step further and makes you life-giving. Okay? That's what we're going to see today, is that God's spirit doesn't just give you life, but it makes you life-giving. Okay? That's what we're going to look at today. We're going to see that this is true of Jesus, and then it's true of us. Okay, so, so summary review. God's Spirit gives you life, and then today, God's Spirit makes you life-giving. This is what we're going to see today. Okay? And so, first, this is true of Jesus. And this is where we want to look at 1 Corinthians 15, 45. It says there, Thus it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. This is one verse in the middle of a really long chapter. It's 58 verses altogether. Um, and yet, in this verse, this is one of these verses where you can read and study the whole chapter and come to this verse and think, wait, 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 huh? Wait, 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 I don't get this. Um, and so I want to stop and I want to slow down. I want to look at the words in this verse because this verse is going to teach us something about Jesus. Okay? In this verse, the, you see the phrase, the last Adam? That, la that phrase, the last Adam, is a reference to Jesus. Okay? Paul, who's the writer here, he is comparing Jesus to Adam. Right? And you can see that here. Um, we've seen this month in Genesis 2-7 that the first Adam was made of dust. And then it says that that God's, what is it, God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. In Genesis 2-7, that's what it says, that God breathed into Adam's nostrils the breath of life, and he became a living being. Okay, and so this verse is quoting Genesis 2-7, where it says, the first man, Adam, became a living being. It's referring to Genesis 2-7. Adam was given the breath of life this animating of his body and making him a creature with both a body and a soul. And so Adam became the head of the human race, right? And so this verse then says something similar happened with Jesus, okay? Just as Adam became a living being, so also Jesus became 
a life-giving spirit. Okay, so you see that? See the parallel there? Adam becomes a living being. Jesus becomes a life-giving spirit. Now, to me, when I think about this, it's, it's sort of puzzling to think of Jesus becoming something, right? Jesus became something. The idea here is that he wasn't something and he becomes it, right? He wasn't a life-giving spirit, but then he became a life-giving spirit. That's what the verse says. Whether you understand it or not, that's what the verse says, okay? So what does this mean? What does this mean, and when did Jesus become this life-giving spirit? Okay, if we can understand this, it will help us understand how you can become life-giving, all right? So the when of this is pretty easy, okay? When Jesus became a life-giving spirit is pretty easy if you just read this chapter, okay? And we don't have time to do that because it's so long. But the rest of the chapter of 1 Corinthians 15 um, is all about the resurrection from the dead, okay? And Paul is saying that at Jesus' resurrection from the dead, he became a life-giving spirit, okay? So if you read the rest of the chapter, you'll see that that's exactly when it happened. When Jesus rose from the dead, he became a life-giving spirit. So that part's kind of easy, but what does it mean, (laughs) right? What did Jesus become that he wasn't when he rose from the dead, okay? At his resurrection, Jesus becomes a life-giving spirit. What does that mean? Well, we need to look at some other verses to make this clear, okay? And so from City Bible reading this week, if you're doing City Bible reading, we read John chapter 7. Um, And uh, I don't know if you noticed these verses, but verses 37 to 39, it's there in your bulletin. John 7, verses 37 to 39. Let's read this together. It says, On the last day of the feast, we also read this for our assurance of pardon, but we're adding another verse. So look at this. It says, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were yet or were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Okay, so you see that? So Jesus was speaking about the Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. So they haven't received it yet. Okay? And he goes on, For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Okay? And so this is interesting, because if you follow this thought, what it's saying here is that the Holy Spirit would not be given until something else happened. Okay? The Holy Spirit would be given after something happened. And what is that thing that needs to happen? See that in verse 39? What needs to happen for the Holy Spirit to be given? Yeah, Jesus needs to be glorified. Jesus needs to be glorified. And that's and so Jesus was glorified at his resurrection. Because at his resurrection, Jesus passed from this broken world into eternal life, okay? And he was raised with a body that was perfected and was fit for eternity, okay? And so the resurrection was the glorification of Jesus. It was when Jesus was glorified, okay? Now, we've actually seen this 
spoken about in another way already. Michael, when he preached to us uh, at the, earlier this month in John 16, verse 7, uh, this didn't make it in the bulletin, so let me, I put it up here. Jesus said this. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Remember this? You're like, huh, Jesus? Going away? No, no, no. We want you here. We don't want you to leave. You going away is bad for us. And yet Jesus says the opposite. He's like, no, 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 no. It's to your advantage that I go away. Why? For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Okay, and so what we see here is that Jesus knows that he is going to die and rise again so that he can send the helper. The helper is the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus knows he has to go away to send the Holy Spirit. And this is what happens at not just the resurrection, but also the ascension of Jesus. Okay? And so in your bulletin, in Acts 2, 32 and 33, we see that this is exactly what happened. So this Acts 2 passage is going to show us when Jesus became a life-giving spirit. Okay? Acts 2, 32 says, This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Did you catch that? And so you got to see this. Um, this Jesus God raised up, that's the resurrection, right? But then being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, that's the ascension. When Jesus ascended into heaven, he goes to the Father, right? At Pentecost, the resurrected and ascended Jesus received the Holy Spirit as a gift for his work of salvation. And then he pours the Holy Spirit out on the church. Okay? That's what we're seeing here. And so those who believe in Jesus receive this spirit and the new life that it brings. Okay? This is when Jesus became a life-giving spirit. And this kind of makes sense. It sort of wraps up what we've been looking at this month, right? The Holy Spirit is the way that God gives you new life, right? The Holy Spirit is how life comes to you, okay? God's Spirit animates your body so that we're physically alive, God, but then God gives us new life by giving us the Holy Spirit, okay? And so here's, what, so here's what's going on here, is that when Jesus receives and shares the Holy Spirit, the Bible says he becomes a life-giving spirit, okay? So Jesus is the God who then shares the spirit with us. Are you with me? I'll tell you why this is, actually, why, why this is meaningful here in a sec, but I just want you to see that this is what the Bible is telling us. There's something unbelievably significant about the life, the death, the resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, if he didn't come to save us, if, he, if God didn't come to earth to save us, then we would have no Holy Spirit. You would not have God's power to grow. And so when Jesus shares this spirit, he becomes a life-giving spirit. And so this is why Jesus deserves credit for the changes in our lives when we become Christians. Christians. 
Okay? This is why we should worship him. It was Jesus' work for us that put him in a place to be able to share God's work in us. And so not only does this teach us to worship Jesus, not only does this give us every reason to give him credit when we grow and when we change, but this also teaches us. Um, this, this teaches us that the God who commands us, right, the God who is in authority over us, is the same God who came for us. Okay? Um, I don't know if you've ever wondered why does the Bible present God as a trinity, right? I don't know if you ever wondered, like, why is it so complicated? Have you ever tried to explain the trinity to somebody who didn't already believe in it? Have you ever had a conversation with somebody who was a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon who've had huge questions about, like, how can you say there's one God if there's three gods? And, you know, and, and why would God make it so complicated, right? Like, why is God trying to confuse us? Is this one of those things where God just doesn't want us to understand? Like, why is that? Why would God reveal himself as triune? Um, I think one way is because we need God in these three ways for us to be all that we are, all that we want to be, all that God wants us to be. Let, Let me explain. We need God over us as a loving authority, guiding us, teaching us, coming after us when we fail. We need God in authority over us. And when the Bible looks for a term to use for an expression of loving authority, it uses the term Father. Right? God the Father is God over us, loving us with his authority. But we need something more. After the fall, after sin enters into our lives, we need more than just God over us. Right? We need to be saved from our sins. And so um, sin separates us from God. It's, there, there's a gap between us and God because of our sin. And so we don't just need God over us, but we need God before us. We need someone to stand in between us and God and make a way for us to be with him again. And so that's why God comes as the Son. So God the Son comes and lives the life we should have lived and then dies the death we should have died so that God can justify us, accept us as blameless in his sight, so God can adopt us into his family. And so we need God over us as a father. We need God before us, in in front of us, in between us as a son. Um, And that would put us in in an adopted, forgiven relationship with God. Um, what would be missing would be us having the, the power and the ability to actually grow and change. Right? God can forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive, but like, we want to grow. Right? We don't want to keep doing the same stuff over and over and over again. And so we need more than just God over us. We need more than just God in front of us. We need God in us. And so God sends his Holy Spirit. Jesus comes and receives the Spirit, pours it out so that God can be in us. And in us, God gives us his empowering presence. And this is the life that Jesus offers us. 
when we follow him. And so the bottom line of Jesus being life-giving is that Jesus' work for us gave him life, and he gives that life to us. Okay? And that's what we have in the Holy Spirit. And this is the good news, this life that we have. This is the good news that's caused us to be able to look at, for four months, understanding these blessings of justification, adoption, regeneration, and the indwelling of the Spirit. And we're just getting started. Like we're just beginning to scratch the surface of what it means to be blessed by God and to have the blessings of God's life in us. Because what's even better, what's even better is that when you believe in Jesus, what is true of him is also true of you. Okay? Jesus was life-giving, and so are you. This idea that the Spirit, God's Spirit, makes you life-giving, this is true not just of Jesus, but it's true of you. In harbor language from the past, uh, this means that you are blessed to be a blessing. Right? Remember that? God takes our cups and turns them into pitchers so we can pour into others. Um, Jesus became a life-giving spirit by sharing the Holy Spirit with us. And when you believe in Jesus, God gives you his Holy Spirit so that you would share this life with others. God gives you his presence because he wants you to be life-giving. How about that as a vision for your life? Is that on your radar? Like when you think about what you want to be in the next five years. How about adding the phrase, like, I want to be life-giving. I want people around me to feel the life of God coming from me to them. This is what the indwelling of the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. This is what God wants you to become. God wants our church to become an environment where when people come in, they see life. They see life in us. They see that there is like true like an animatedness, right? I'm not saying you have to be bouncing off the walls, but they see hope. Right? They see an ability to handle difficult circumstances and not despair. Um, they see friendships where people care about each other, care enough to ask the question and care about the answer. How are you doing? Um, where they see us working together, both here on Sundays and groups during the week, where they see people loving and supporting each other, where they see us actively involved in the lives of people around us, giving life. This is God's call for us. This is a vision for us as individuals and as a church. And so what the scriptures teach, when we begin to look more at what the Bible says about the Spirit of God in you, it says that you're life-giving in two ways. You are life-giving in deeds and you're life-giving in words. Okay, so we're going to look at these really quickly. And so first, in deeds. Um, I want you to see that the Holy Spirit, having God's presence in you, makes you life-giving in deeds. 
in what you do. So look at Galatians 5. It's there in your bulletin. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. It says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So the, the image here is that, um, is that God, the Spirit, when the Spirit of God comes on you, it's as though it's been planted in you. Okay, Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches, which is close to this image. The idea here is that, is that, you, are, that you have God's Spirit in you, and that Spirit bears fruit. Okay, and that fruit looks a certain way right? The fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. It's all these things. It's all nine of these things that would characterize your life. And so if you have this spirit, you should have this fruit. The things that you do should be characterized by love. And you think, well, my, my deeds aren't characterized by love, so maybe that means I don't have the spirit. That might be what it means. If you don't have self-control, if you don't have goodness, kindness, patience, faithfulness, you, know, you go through this list and, you, and what I think is probably most helpful is to go back to the questions that Michael asked us the first week of this month. Do you remember that? It was like he gave us this list of what it would look like to do the works of Jesus. And then he said, like, how many of y'all have done these perfectly? And nobody raised their hands. And then he said, how many of you have done these at all? Right? So sometimes the more sensitive conscience of us need to ask ourselves that question, ask the question in that way. Do I see love in my life perfectly? No. But do I see real love in my life at all? Is there the presence of the love of God in my life, in my relationships? Do I see that? In the relationships where I don't, can I turn toward God with this relationship on my heart and in my prayers and ask God for more of his love? I mean, what's exciting here is that it's the fruit of the Spirit. And so I would love for you to go from saying, I can't do this, to saying, I can't do this on my own. Do you understand what I'm saying? Um, I don't mind hearing from people, I can't love this person. I can't be patient in this situation. I can't not blow up at my employees or at my boss or get frustrated. I can't deal with this stuff. I would rather you say, and it would be more biblically accurate and it would be more uh, conducive to your growth and development, if you were to say, I can't do these things on my own. Because the truth is, if you're a Christian, you are not on your own anymore. You have God's own presence in your life. You have God's own presence so near that you just need to turn and remember that he's there. Right? Remember last week, Friendship with God calls for faith from us. 
Like I know sometimes it's hard to know that he's there. It's hard to remember that he's there. But that's what faith is for. Sometimes you have to believe, look, I don't sense you, God, but I'm going to trust that you're here. I'm going to trust that you're here because because you say you are. When you step out, that's an act of faith. And when you begin to believe that, you will begin to see God. And God's Spirit in you will produce these qualities. This fruit will become manifested in your life. And then look at this one. This one's interesting. 2 Corinthians 3.3. Paul, talking to the church, says, And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. And I love this. Like, this is saying that God's Spirit works in you, okay, gives you new life. And then your life becomes a letter from God to the people around you. Does that make sense? Your life, you become a letter from God to the people around you, the people in your home, the people in your office, the people in your workplace, the people in your neighborhood. And God begins to use your life to then write the reality to write the reality of his presence on the hearts of others. That's amazing. The Bible in another place says we're the fragrance of Christ. They can't see him, but they can see you. They can't see him give his life as a ransom of love for the world, but they can see you sacrifice. They can see you show love. They can see the peace that you have. And so God's Spirit makes us evidence of God's work in us before others. We become like letters of recommendation for God. I mean, that's, the, that's actually the context of 2 Corinthians 3. Paul's defending his ministry. He's defending his apostleship. And these other false teachers had come into the church with these letters of recommendation. And Paul's like, and they asked him for letters of recommendation. Paul's like, I'm not, I don't write a letter. You, you're my letter of recommendation. Your lives are proof that God is real, that I am an apostle. Look at what's happened in your lives. And it's like God is saying, look, I want to use you in the lives of the people around you to show them that I'm real. I want you to be life-giving. And then for the third time today, let's go back to John 7. Um, it says, verse 38, um, well, whoever believes in me, as the scriptures said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. This is good. Because you know what? If you want to stay satisfied, you don't need a river. Okay? You just need a cup full for yourself every now and again. You don't need a river. And yet, what Jesus does is God, he puts God's spirit in you, not just a little bit, right? It's not, a, it's not, it's not like, it's not drizzling on your heart, <laughs> you know? It's a river that pours forth from you. Like, God wants you to be life-giving, and he gives you the spirit without measure. 
so that you are filled and filled and filled and filled and just pours out of you love and joy and peace and patience. Um, And if you don't see these things in your life, you need to turn back to God and realize that he is these things perfectly and he is in you. So you're right, on your own, you can't do these things, but you're not on your own. You're not on your own. God has put his life in you. And so you are life-giving in deeds. But, and this is vital, and I think sometimes it's something we forget, you have to combine your deeds with words. Okay? Your deeds are not enough. Okay? Jesus didn't just do miracles and then say, all right, see you all later. Jesus fed 5,000 people in John chapter 6, and then he spent an enormous amount of time preaching and teaching them that this miracle of feeding 5,000 people um, was a picture and that he is actually the bread of life. Right? And he says, look, you can eat this bread, but you're going to get hungry again. But I can give you bread that if you eat it, you will never grow hungry. If you believe in me, I will satisfy all of the hunger in your soul. And so we need not just to show Uh, to be life-giving in deeds, but we need to be life-giving in words. We need to let people know the source of what gives us life and what makes us life-giving. Acts 4 is there in your bulletin, the bottom verse there, verse 31. It says, And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. And so there are probably about 40 verses, at least, in the Bible that tie in, the God's, that tie in God's Spirit with the ability to communicate God's truth, with the ability to share the gospel with others. Like God, Jesus gives you his Spirit so that you would have words of life, so that you wouldn't just act in a way that shows people what God is aiming for and God's hope for humanity, but God's Spirit comes to you so that you would share in words your faith in Jesus. So he wants you to be life-giving in words, and the Holy Spirit will give you the ability to speak to others about Jesus. He'll prompt you. He'll give you courage. Um, We need to step out and share. Okay? You just need to step out and share, and trust that God's Spirit will guide you, will protect you, because He will. He will. And so, here's the bottom line on this one. Our deeds display Jesus in His life-giving Spirit. Our words describe Jesus in His life-giving Spirit. And the people in our church, we need this from each other, okay? We need to see Jesus in each other. Um, I need to see the life-giving spirit in you because you know what happens? It gives me hope because when I'm having a hard time, when I don't see the spirit in me, but I see it in you, I'm reminded, hey, hey, same spirit in you is in me and it encourages my heart, right? And so we need to see this in each other. The world around us needs to see this And then we and the world need to hear this from each other. Because that's how we give life. 
One last thing. So what do you do when you don't feel like being life-giving? Okay? What do you do when you don't want to give life to someone else? When you feel frustrated, you feel angry, you feel selfish, you feel bored, you feel you just don't want to do this. Right? Or, or better yet, and maybe sometimes what's even more the case, what do you do when you don't even feel like you have life to give? Right? You ever feel that way? You want me to be life-giving? Man, I showed up. I don't have anything to offer. I mean, I'm hoping that understanding that the Spirit gives you life will help you. But I mean, what if you feel like you don't even have life to give, let alone be life-giving? I found this one verse in my search through all, I actually looked at all the verses, there's 700 and some, verses in the Bible that talk about the Spirit. Okay? And I found this one verse that I think is really, it's powerful, and I think it'll help us. And it's about wild donkeys, okay? Hold on to your seats. Jeremiah 14.6 says, The wild donkeys stand on the bare heights. They pant for air like jackals. Their eyes fail because there is no vegetation. So you have this image of a wild donkey right on top of a, of a mountain, on the bare heights, right? And, and, and the heights are bare, right? There's no food anywhere. And um, the image that I have is that this donkey has climbed and climbed and climbed and found this place where he is. He's tired. He's exhausted. He's panting, right? He's trying to catch his breath. He's starving and he has no food. When these wild donkeys are in this place, it says that they pant for air like jackals, right? You have this image of a donkey, right, panting for breath, panting for air, trying to breathe, right? Exhausted, starving. Um, I think that we can feel this way, spiritually speaking. I think we can feel like we are exhausted, like we are panting for air. Um, we don't know what to do. Um, we're just, we, we don't know where to go. We, we feel like we're starving. Um, what's interesting is that what the donkeys pant for is translated air. Okay? It says they pant for air. In the Hebrew, it's the word spirit. Okay? It says they pant for spirit, like jackals. And for a donkey, I mean, the, what's interesting about this is that to say that this air is spirit, um, what it means is that the donkey is there trying to get life, right? That's why you pant. When you sprint, when you run and you're exhausted and you're panting for breath, you're trying, your body is saying, I need life. I need life. I need life. Get more air into me. There's stuff going on inside of me. You push me too hard. I'm not used to this, whatever it is. Like, you're trying, you're sucking wind. You're trying to get breath. You're trying to get air into your lungs, right? So your body can feed and recover and be nourished again. Um, and yet, when the word is used, you're panting for spirit. And I guess, for me, I feel like what this says is that panting is like a plea for God to sustain us. That when we're exhausted, 
uh, what we need is not just air, but we need spirit. Right? When your heart is broken, when you are depressed, when you are discouraged, when you are tired, and you're panting spiritually, like what you're doing is you're longing for more of this spirit. Right? If you don't have life to give, or if you don't want to give life, then pant for the spirit. Picture yourself as an exhausted donkey on the bare heights, panting for air, and realize that's where you are spiritually. Do you understand what I'm saying? I mean, the connection here is that when you find yourself in that place, breathing is a desperate plea for the wind and the air to sustain us. Friends, praying, spending time with God, can be a desperate plea for him to fill us. So when you don't feel like giving the life that you have, when you don't feel like you have life to give, pant in prayer. Breathe deeply of God's spirit. Go to God, spend time with him. Turn toward him and say, God, I have nothing. I can't do this on my own. I don't have love for this person. I don't have patience for this situation. I don't have goodness in me uh, to do the right thing in this. I can't control myself. My sin is too strong. The temptation is too real. I can't do this on my own and just pray and pray and pray and pray and let God fill you again with his spirit. Breathe in with your prayers so that you would be filled with his presence. Remember that he's with you. I mean, this is where, again, prayer is our spirit reaching out to God's spirit to connect and to be filled. Praying is not just a spiritual discipline. It's not calisthenics. Um, It's what we need to live. If you don't spend time with God, I mean, again, this is why we read the Bible together. This is why we pray. This is why we do city Bible reading. Like, all of this is designed to teach us how much we need to spiritually breathe. This week, this week, are you going to breathe? Are you going to breathe in the presence of God? Make a plan. Make a plan to spend time with God. Set a date because you need it. Without spending time with him, you're a wild donkey. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for caring. I thank you so much, Lord, for the amazing gift of your spirit. And we we simply confess. We confess that so often we go without We act like anemic people because we don't spend time with you. And Lord, there's every reason for us to be in your presence. There is every reason for us to spend enormous amounts of time with you. Lord, what else can we do that will give us life but spend time with you? Where else can we go, Peter said? And we rehearse that, Lord, today. Father, we confess that 
we seek out so many other things besides being in your presence. Um, and we're sorry. Lord, we pray that you would renew in us this excitement, this vision for us. Um, we want to spend time with you. We want to breathe in deeply your spirit. And so will you meet us this week as we read your word and hear you speak to us, as we pray back to you our own adoration, our own confession, our own thanksgiving, and our own supplications. Father, help us to spend time communicating with you, remembering how good you are, remembering how glorious you are, and then knowing that you are near. Father, these are things that we want to see happen this week. Will you meet us? Will you help us? Father, we want to do this so that we can be life-giving. So we can give others the life that you have given us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.